Okay, I, I just want to share with you tonight uh, a few things in regards to um, our subject of these last days. And so, uh, if you've got a Bible, turn to Daniel chapter 9. Daniel chapter 9, and let's take a moment tonight and pray. Father, thank you so much for your goodness. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your kindness. Lord, speak to our hearts tonight. Direct us in the way we should go. Thank you for utterance now in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as you know, we've been talking about the last days, and, and, and we've spoken to you already some about the different dispensations that God has worked in from going back to the beginning of the earth and how we live in the church age now, which, of course, was the mystery to all those in the Old Covenant. 4,000 years, they didn't know what this is about. The disciples of Jesus didn't have a clue about the mystery, which is the church, which we are, of course, aware of today. Um, uh, but we, we went on and spoke to you about the rapture of the church, or as the Scripture refers to it as the departure or the catching away of the saints, the believers, to meet the Lord in the air. And so uh, we're looking forward to that. I don't know about you, but I like to fly. And uh, right now I need machinery <laughs> to get me up, but it sure is fun. But think about it, one of these, one of these days we're going to be flying without it. All right? Uh, we're going to be going up to meet the Lord in the air. Amen. That's going to be good. Don't have to check the wind. Don't have to check the... Uh, altimeter, you know, don't have to check the barometer, don't have to, uh, don't have to get any uh, pre-flight plans, uh, we're not going to run into anybody, we're, <laughs> we're just going to get there, okay, and, uh, and not going to be a problem whatsoever, we're going to meet the Lord in the air, and we talked to you about the judgment seat of Christ, remember where, we're, where we are as believers going to be rewarded, good days ahead, yay, and so we're building up today good works that are going to stand that fire, and we're going to be able to be rewarded forever. Over here in Daniel now, chapter 9, Daniel chapter 9, are some verses that, of course, were written thousands of years ago, but God gave some prophetic insight into the last days, and uh, this passage of Scripture is considered by many um, scholars and many who study eschatology to be kind of a foundation and a cornerstone to, to what's happening in the last days. Of course, there are other passages that deal with the last times that we live in. But let's look over here in Daniel 9 and verse 24. Daniel 9 verse 24. It says, Seventy weeks are determined for your people and for your holy city to finish the transgression, to make an end of sins, to make reconciliation for iniquity, to bring everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy. Now, first of all, uh, let me point a couple things out to you here. That the, the Hebrew word here used for weeks is the word... Shabuah sounds like speaking in tongues, <laughs> uh, but it simply it what it means, uh, it, and it can mean weeks, but it means literally segments of seven. All right, which of course we know a week is a segment of seven days, but literally means segments of seven. So this literally could say 
at the first part of this verse, 70 segments of seven are determined upon thy people. This is the prophecy. This is the word that Daniel is getting from the Lord, that there'll be 70 segments of seven. And then the, the word there, determined, is the word chathack, or something pronounced like that, chathack, uh, which means to cut out. All right, determined or to cut out. This, wor- this verse is saying that 70 weeks are cut out of time. All right, L- look back at the first part of this chapter, verse 1, Daniel 9, 1. In the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, of the lineage of the Medes, who was, um, who was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood by the books the number of the years specified by the word of the Lord through Jeremiah the prophet that he would accomplish 70 years in the desolations of Jerusalem. Okay, now look, Daniel's mentioning that he was given understanding about these years. Now let me just say this before I, before I get to this. Daniel didn't understand everything um, about what he was saying, but he did, he was given understanding of some time frames, some years, all right? If you look over in the Gospels, you recall Jesus was talking about his second coming, uh, Matthew 24, I think Mark 13, uh, different places account for this, and Jesus made mention of what Daniel prophesied, And he said, right in the middle of that, the scripture says, he who reads, let him understand. In other words, these things, these uh, prophecies concerning the last days were kept secret for a long time. And when Jesus came along, he seemed to be the one that opened it up. He said, let him who reads understand. Well, I guess we can then. I guess we're now able to comprehend and understand these Old Testament prophecies concerning our time, but they haven't always been opened. But Jesus did open them up and say, you can understand it now. Because he said, when you read it, understand it. All right. And so Daniel here refers to years. So we're talking about weeks. We're talking about segments of time and years. There are, of course, as you know, seven days in one week. One day in Daniel's prophecy then is equivalent to one year in the things that he's discussing. One year is equivalent to one day. And uh, he understood that there were a number, the the number of years concerning what he was doing. Now, uh, let me back up. It it mentions here that Daniel was there in verse 2, that he understood by the books the number of years specified by the word of the Lord through Jeremiah the prophet. So he was reading Jeremiah. Back up again. Where, where was Daniel's? Just to, you don't know the story. Israel, of course, they were being bad. All right? And, uh, and basically they were disobeying God. And, and really from the time of King David, they had stopped giving the land a Sabbath rest like they were supposed to. 
Okay, and that was 490 years. They hadn't been doing that. The Lord told them, you know, work the land for six years and then give it a rest. Let it rest. He said, I'll make sure you have enough for that next year. But of course, they wanted more and kind of human nature. Well, we can suck some more profits out of this thing. And, and so they stopped doing that. And, uh, and it came to this point and the prophet Jeremiah and Isaiah as well, they were given prophecies about what was going to happen to Israel, how they were going to be taken into captivity for 70 years. Okay, and exactly what was prophesied took place. They were carried away to Babylon and they were there for 70 years. But Daniel shows up. Of course, Daniel was uh, just real young, just a kid when he was taken up there and uh, and, and, but at this time, he's recognizing, he's studying the Word, reading the prophecies. He realizes the 70 years is almost up. He recognizes we've been here long enough. And so he begins to seek God and find out to find out what's going to happen next. Where are we going from here? And the Lord didn't just give him the next few years. The Lord talked to him all the way about the second coming. All the way to kind of close to where we're at. You've heard that God will do a exceeding abundantly above all you can ever ask or think, right? That's, not, that's nice about Him. You might be asking Him about tomorrow and He'll show you the next seven years. <laughs> Amen. He can. Amen. And so Daniel starts getting this information and... Uh, uh, in seeking the Lord, basically what happened is he received revelation concerning the next 490 years. 490 years before is when they were goofing off, not following the Lord. And of course, at different times, they'd get into idol worship and all this stuff. But then another, the next 490 years is what he got prophecy about. Let me, let me show you how that works. Okay, the one day in this... Uh, prophecy here is equal to one year so one week would be seven years and 70 weeks 70 segments of seven basically then equals 490 years okay and this prophesies basically that in 490 years would be the second coming of Jesus amen does that sound confusing it should <laughs> Because that way I can clear it up. If it's not confusing yet, then I didn't do a good job of messing you up. All right. And, uh, and this, let me point out this as well. This, uh, this last phrase up here in verse 24, to seal up the vision and prophecy and to anoint the most holy. Well, to anoint the host, most holy, it can be read this way in the Hebrew as well, to cleanse the holy of holies. All right. I believe what, that's, what that is referring to is when Jesus himself is going to come down at the second advent and he's going to take his, his spot in the holy of holies and clean out and get rid of everything that's not supposed to be there. Okay, let's look at verse 25 now. He says, Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince, there shall be seven weeks and 62 weeks. The street shall be built again and the wall even in troublesome times. Okay. 
And so here we have two time frames again. I hope everyone can stay with me here. I'm not boring you too much with numbers. I was literally studying today with my calculator. <laughs> and I'm not so big in just, you know, where I'm trying to stretch every number to mean something. I, I know, I mean, partly I, I do searches on 70, and I'm surprised how many times 70 comes up. How many 70s are in the Bible? To be honest with you, I'm not sure how it all ties together. But I'm thinking it probably does. <laughs> probably some wisdom of God behind all these different 70s coming together. But I tried to stay focused on and not speculate as to what uh, everything means. But again here, seven weeks we have, or seven sevens. Seven times seven is 49. What, what is it, what, what's the prophecy saying here? Basically, from the time the decree was given, that's what it says in verse 25, it says that from the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince. Okay? Basically, there's going to be, he said there it would be 49 years, 7 times 7, 49 years uh, from the time the decree is given that the city will be rebuilt. All right, look at the next verse, 26. And after the 62 weeks, Messiah shall be cut off but not for himself, and the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. It shall, it, the end of it shall be with a flood, and until the end of the war, desolations are determined. So we've got another time frame here that says after the 62 weeks, all right? Now, if you're reading some of the older translations, the King James, you're having to figure out scores and all that kind of stuff. Have fun with that. <laughs> all right. And uh, you, can, you can work it out, but that, you know, three score plus two, of course, that's 62. Um, and so uh, what he's talking about here is 62 weeks. And what that equals, you got your 62 segments of seven, is equal to 434 years. All right. After 62 weeks, or 434 years, the Messiah shall be cut off. Well, what's that talking about? I think that's real clear to us. But, but if you look at this, you've got the 434 plus the 49 that it took to, from the time the decree was made, build this thing. Took 49 years to get that done. Then you add the other time frame to it. We have 483 weeks. At 483 weeks, you know what happened? Jesus was crucified. All right? These exact, the exact time frame was given thousands of years in advance to where the Messiah would be cut off. Now, do I think they all knew what that meant? No, but we know what it means looking back. What do you mean? Well, how many know he was cut off from the presence of God? I mean, no, he was cut off from life. But what was the reason? As the scripture said here, but not for himself. He didn't die for himself. He died for us. And, the, and, and he took our sins. He took our disease, our infirmities. He died for us, not for himself. But the time was exactly predicted thousands of years before. Well, I forget how many years that I'm not going to, I'm throwing out numbers now. <laughs> thousands of years. 483 years in advance um, what, what were these things told and so because he went to the cross at the end of the 69th week what does that mean 
there is still one week of Jewish time remaining. Because you remember verse 24, 70 weeks are determined. But yet all this happened at 69 weeks. What about the 70th week? You would think that you could get that close, you could get it right. But actually, what happened here is that uh, there are still seven more years left. Does anybody know what those seven years are? The fulfillment of Daniel's prophecy is the tribulation. It seems that the way God orchestrated this, he's, he's, He was making up for all that time, and He had and restored them, but those 483 years, they would have kept going, but He stopped time, and they didn't see that, and some of the other prophets didn't see that, the disciples didn't see that, is because God, right in the middle there then, between week 69 and week 70, He put the church. Jesus was cut off, and that stopwatch, so to speak, was ended. It's, well, it was paused. It stopped at the 69th week, and here we are. Now, we've been here, you know, almost a couple thousand years. You know, if uh, it's hard to know sometimes with our calendars being exactly right. Then you've got the Jewish calendar, different things to consider. But, you know, we are, uh, you know, if Jesus died in year 33, which we actually know that he didn't because... Well, we know from those who tell us that the calendar was off four to six years. <laughs> okay, but let's say he died in year 33. That means 2,000 years would be 2,033. But again, it's not exactly the way it is. So we've been here as the church for roughly 2,000 years. And what's going to happen? At the end of the church age, when we meet the Lord in the air, that's when the stopwatch starts again. And that's when Daniel's 70th week is going to be fulfilled. And that prophecy will come to pass in its completion. And the time of the tribulation will be the last of that time. Now, uh, of course, again, back in, in, in verse 24, it's going to make an end of sins to make reconciliation for iniquity, to bring everlasting righteousness, to seal up the vision of the prophecy, and to anoint the most holy or or, or, or to cleanse the holy of holies. What it's talking about here. This is when we enter into the millennial reign of Christ. This is when the thousand year reign of Jesus is going to come into play. And all this stuff is going to be taken care of. And it's going to be heaven on earth. Amen. And so uh, another thing to point out here is in relationship to this um, in relationship to the prince, this prince spoken of here, you might notice in lighter translations, it's not capitalized, not speaking of Jesus. He's, he's the Messiah. But um, let's see, in, in verse 26, and the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. I believe that prince is speaking about the Antichrist. And all those who follow, those who follow him, the people of the prince, what are they going to do? Well, they're going to, uh, the time's coming when the Antichrist will make a covenant with the Jewish nation. In fact, let, let's read verse 27 and, and get that. It says, Then he shall confirm a covenant with many, with many, with many there, th those are the Jews. All right. Uh, for one week. How long is a week? Seven years. But in the middle of the week, he shall bring an end to 
uh, sacrifice and offerings. Okay? In other words, what's going to happen? Well, as soon as Jewish time takes over again, church is out, Jewish time kicks in, it's the 70th week of Daniel, that's when they're going to start offering sacrifices again and doing what, you know, was commanded them in the Old Testament. And this Antichrist is going to come in and make a pact with them, make a covenant with them. What? He's going to protect them. He's going to keep them safe. Everything's grandiose. Everything's wonderful. They'll probably believe that he's the Messiah. That they've been waiting for. Because you know as a whole the Jewish nation has not accepted Jesus as the Messiah. They're still waiting for him. They're still waiting for his first coming. Alright. And so this will very, very much look like. You remember back even when the disciples walked around. They all had in mind whenever Jesus would talk that he's going to set up his kingdom. But Lord, when are you going to set up your kingdom? They're thinking he's going to free them from Rome and he's going to be on the throne and rule a natural kingdom and deliver them from everyone. That's what they had in mind, even on the day, of, you know, slightly before the day of Pentecost. Jesus said, you're going to be filled with power from on high. And they said, Lord, what about the kingdom? <laughs> Is this the time when you're going to restore your kingdom? He said, don't worry about that. That's not for you to know right now. But you shall be endued with power. <laughs> and you'll be my witnesses. And you'll go around the world and, and, and all this stuff. That's what he, they didn't have in their mindset yet the church age. How this was going to be inserted. They think, they're thinking, what about Daniel's prophecy? What about that 490th year? What about that 70th week? That should be now. Seven years from now, this should be done. Maybe that was the reason some in the early church thought, it's tomorrow. They're thinking the Lord's uh, coming back tomorrow. When he left, he's going to be back in a few years. But no, the church age, and they didn't know how long that was, and here we are, <laughs> still here. But we're coming up on the end and coming up real close. But again, they were all focused on that natural kingdom being established and Jesus sitting on, the natural, on a natural throne. But again, that's going to be the millennial reign of Christ when that actually takes place. And... And so, uh, let's see, where were we? 27? Oh, oh yeah, basically, I, I was saying this. The Antichrist, of course, establishes a covenant or a pact with Jerusalem, or with, with the Jews. And in the midst of that day, in the midst of, uh, or midst of that week, um, or the seven years, that's why one of the reasons people say three and a half years, or mid-trib type theology. Well, in the middle of the tribulation, that's when he's going to break it. He's going to break that covenant. He's no longer going to follow through. And then a whole lot of Jews are going to go, <gasps> and they're going to run to the mountains. <laughs> they're going to flee. They're going to be getting out of there because he is going to take the place in the temple and say, now you're going to worship me. And this is where the Antichrist really rises up in, in, in prominence and uh, you know, shows exactly who he is to people who know, and they'll realize he's no longer, uh, well, he never was, but he's not their Messiah, and he's not there to save um, anything. And that's when all the, you can see from these verses, that's when all the, the sacrifices cease. Uh, uh, verse 27 there, and, uh, um, you know, goes on to say, and on the wing of abominations shall be one who makes desolate, uh, that's the Antichrist, even until the consummation which is determined is poured out on the desolate. And so uh, I, I just find it, you know, I don't know, assuring, reassuring that the Lord has all these time frames settled. I mean, you, you think about how dare he tell us ahead of time. I mean, he told exactly when Jesus was going to come through these prophecies 
but yet the Lord has a way of keeping things from people. He does. He kept it out of the devil's mind. You know, Scripture says the princes of this world knew they never would have crucified the Lord of glory. And the Lord has a way of prophesying things, getting things out into the earth, and then not letting it be known by everybody. <laughs> but I believe, of course, that we're in a time of increasing revelation. All these things are opened unto us, and so we can see. Now, we're not going to know the day and the hour. All right, Jesus said that very clear. We're not making any predictions here. Next Tuesday, get your white robes on and <laughs> run up your credit cards and head to the hills. And uh, get on a tall hill and we're going to take off. <laughs> Nothing foolish like that. But we are to be serving the Lord uh, faithfully until that time. And we can see some of the order of events so we can speak intelligently about the Lord's return. And, uh, and you know, certainly the Lord can give us much more understanding and revelation than we have today. But I think it's important that we um, do a whole lot of focus on where we are now and what we're supposed to be now. Let's take a little uh, side journey over here to John chapter 8. In John chapter 8, it says over here in verse 12, Then Jesus spoke to them again, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Notice Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Let's look over here in the ninth chapter. Chapter 9. And so we can say, without equivocation that Jesus is, period. He is the light of the world. If anyone has the in front of light, that's Jesus. He is the light of the world. That's his position. That's his place. But look at this, 9 verse 5. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. That's interesting that he put a time frame on it there. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Well, Lord, what about if you're not in the world? Because how many know, in one real sense, he's not? in the world. Now, He is through us, but how many know physically He's not here? You know, sometimes people say, Jesus is in my heart. Well, no, He's not. <laughs> Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father. All right? He, he's not in your heart. He doesn't even fit. He, but say, is that so wrong to say? I don't think that's such a wrong thing to say, but if you want to get specific about it, He's in you by His Spirit. So, yeah, the Lord is in my heart in this. His Spirit is in me. The Spirit of Christ is in me, okay? And, uh, and He's seated in heavenly places. Is Jesus the light of the world? Well, yes, that's who He is. But also, He said, I'm the light of the world as long as I'm here. Well, what about when you're not here? Who knows the answer to that question? We are. Jesus also called. He even said that to His disciples. He said, you are the light of the world. And this is so important, no matter what your end time theology is, no matter how close we are to the end or how far we are, for, are to the end, we need to recognize that this world doesn't see anything without us. That's why I believe the world goes into chaos when the church leaves. That's why I believe when the, when the church meets the Lord in the air, all hell breaks loose on, down beneath. Why? Because people can't see. They can't. They can't see straight. There's no light. They'll be confused. They'll be so quickly and easily deceived. 
And what keeps people from being deceived today? It's a, I tell you what. It's us. It's truth stand. It's truth bearers. It's the standard that God has kept in the earth to keep it and preserve it. Being salt and light in the earth. And we've got to make sure we are continually standing for and living in truth. You know, but you know, back uh, back in the other the other verse, eight verse twelve again. I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Why? Is that true? Why is it true that if I follow him, I will not walk, walk in darkness? Simply because he doesn't walk in darkness. He will never lead me into darkness. He will never lead me into sin. He will never lead me into a place where I'm, where I'm going to stumble. If I will walk and follow him, I will walk in light. Light is such a valuable thing. Darkness is such a terrible thing darkness is where people try to hide stuff I tell you what when we get to heaven there's going to be no secrets hmm. there's going to be no cover-ups i mean there'll be well you say serious everyone's going to know everything <laughs> there will be nothing to hide you won't want to hide anything think about think about relationships that are 100 percent open and transparent well people don't have to put a mask on people don't have to fake it people don't have to try to you know, live up to someone else's expectations and always kind of figure out what are they thinking and, you know, all the... Man, in the, in, the, in the presence of God, there's none of that stuff. And following Jesus, there's none of that. There's light. Secret things and hidden things are revealed. Amen. Now, let me, let me clarify just to bring balance in case someone says, okay, so we should expose everything. Well, <laughs> no, love, love covers a multitude of sins. And so we do live in a fallen world, so you're not supposed to, you know, be exposing other people's sins. <laughs> However, because we are the light of the world, and this is how God leads the world today, whenever you show up and you're speaking the truth in love, those in sin will be uncomfortable. And that happens sometimes. I really don't want, and I think I'm going to teach this here soon uh, in more detail. But I honestly don't want everyone who comes to Life Church to be comfortable. I'm not talking about the seat. We want to pad it up nice. I'm not talking because we're judgmental or rude or anything like that. But I do want people to not be comfortable with sin or with just status quo or mediocrity. I want people to come in and be challenged and be convicted. Why? I want there to be so much light here that it does show up things that need to change in our lives. And that's me too. Amen. I'm not done on the change plan. As more light comes to me, I make adjustments. But there can be a great temptation for those, you know, who, do, who are in church business these days just to focus everything over on the comfort side. Everything on the, you're okay, I'm okay, you're okay. Well, once in a while we need to realize, you're not okay. 
I've got some changing to do. I've got some growing to do. And that's not always comfortable. Amen. And so it's not our, of course, we don't go out of our way. Let's, I'm going to, ooh, there's a new person. I'm going to, I'm going to try to <laughs> ruffle their feathers a little bit. Let them know that God's here. No, no, no. We walk in love and, uh, and are so kind and generous. But while the Word of God goes forth, it does convict and it does bring about the need to make some adjustments of some changes in our lives. And, and we should never fear that. Man, if you've ever gotten to a point where the Lord hasn't uh, talked to you about doing something different or changing something or stopping something or starting something, if He hasn't talked to you about that in a long time, you might not be listening. Might not be paying attention. Either that or you are, are el perfecto. And I doubt it. <laughs> but we are the light. Amen? And, uh, and, and how can we walk, walk in this light? If we follow Him, we will never walk in darkness. Let's look at one more and then we'll finish up here today. First John. That's John, but now let's go to First John. All the way towards the back of the book. Pretty close. First John. Chapter 1, verse 5. This is the message which we have heard from, heard from Him and declare to you that God is light and in Him is no darkness at all. That's another answer. Why, 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 can we, why will we walk in the light if we're following Him? Because there's no darkness in Him. There's absolutely zero darkness. Every time I'm following Him, I will end up in a light place. What happens in, light, in, in the light? How many know things grow? Plants don't, die, don't grow in the dark. Right? You've got to give them light. How many know you don't stumble? If there's light, you're not tripping up. You're not falling on your face. You're not making mistakes. We turn all the lights off in here and you try to walk through. And you're trying to guess where the aisles are. You're going to hit some shins and, and, uh, <laughs> and, uh, and, and get yourself into some trouble. What? Turn on the light. Instantly it becomes easy. So I'm just struggling. I don't know what to do. You know what you need? Light. Man, light. At the same time, how many understand this, though? Whenever you have light, you're responsible for the light that you have. In other words, it's not okay, but if I'm doing something wrong and I don't know what's wrong, it's not as big a deal as if I know it's, if, as if I do know it's wrong and I do it anyway. Whenever God reveals something to you, when you see something and you choose to go the other way anyway, that's dangerous. You're on, you're on dangerous territory. And so if you really don't want that, be dumb. <laughs> Maintain ignorance. Keep it at a high level. Dumb can be painful too, though. Okay? And uh, he says in verse 6, If we say that we have fellowship with Him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. All right? But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses... Uh, the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. Amen. Father, we just thank You tonight for Your presence. Thank You for Your goodness. We just magnify your name, believe that you're at work in our lives, in our midst. You're helping us to walk in the knowledge of your will. 
to walk in the in the knowledge of uh, these times and these days in which we live Lord we believe that you're revealing to us helping us to see the things that you want us to to walk in and understand we believe that you're faithful and that you're at work today what a good God you are what a good good God you are sanctified we have been set apart by you set apart to do good things set apart to do your will and Lord we do consecrate our hearts tonight set ourselves aside to hear from heaven Lord to receive everything that you would have us to receive so that we can be light in a dark world so that we can walk in the fullness of who you are give you all the praise all the glory all the honor in Jesus name Thank you, Lord. Praise the Lord. Stand up with me.